Rand, thank you so much for joining us today on our first podcast. I really appreciate you joining and I'm excited to talk to you. How are you doing this morning? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. We're excited to have you. I'd really like to start at the beginning of K-Health's journey. Can you talk a little bit about where the idea for K-Health came from and how you and Alan came together as partners? Yeah, Alan and I met uh, from a mutual investor and uh, both of us were finish up uh, prior ventures we had. Alan was just uh, exiting his prior company, Room, went public and I just sold my prior company that was doing AI analytics for advertising technology. And we came together in New York together with a co-founder, Adam Singolda is a co-founder uh, and the CEO of Tabula. We sat down and we basically thought about what are the big problems out there that we can leverage data. The idea started with the fact that we wanted a big problem. We wanted something that touched billions of people. And we came to the conclusion that when it comes to medical knowledge, everybody experienced the same frustration. 7.5 billion people wake up in the morning and they have a symptom. And they asked the same three questions. What else could it be? And how do I treat it? And that became apparent that when you go online, nothing was actually providing a solution. Between symptom checker to Dr. Google to WebMD, the accuracy and the relevancy of the information was so poor. We sat down in a room, we brought some physician because we, we didn't really understand the medicine part of it, but very quickly we discovered that it's actually a quite complicated problem. To be able to help people understand if this is a tension headache, migraine, or brain tumor, you need quite a sophisticated algorithm and data. We advise with many people in the beginning. We start reading books. We're trying to understand. I actually went and learned how physicians do diagnosis. And we read medical books. And we realized that pressure diagnosis is a highly analytical problem. Physicians basically do it in their heads. They are trying to rule out different conditions and narrow their differential diagnosis to what most likely this is, and they're using their experience and they're using the medical textbooks and experience. And we said, you know what, this can be taught. We can teach a machine how to do this. And that's really what sparked the idea around K-Health is that many people seek personalized information when they're not feeling well. It's obviously that computer can aid in that process. We didn't think about replacing doctors. We didn't think about creating a robot that will take over our lives. We thought about in every aspect of our life, people use information to make better decisions. Imagine going travel or making a travel plans or vacation trip without having kay kayaks of the world or whatever people using these days to figure out how to go to vacations. Data became more and more available in the space in the last 20 or maybe 30 years with the EMR explosions and people are using EMR heavily. All of these decision processes documented somewhere. Physicians are, I think just to understand, I think in the U.S., we are, we are talking about one point, maybe 1.5 billion doctor visit a year that people are getting diagnosis 1.5 billion times. Right. In just in the US, people come in, they have a symptom, they see, they take talk to the physicians or whatever at the desk and they're saying, I'm not feeling this, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I have, this is what I don't have. Differential diagnosis that we wanted to create. Very fortunately, we very quickly understood that 
the barrier to entry is quite high. And that's a problem that we wanted to solve because you can't just spin a decision tool or kind of like a do some kind of lightweight algorithm and then put some symptom checker there and then people will ask yes and no and then you would zoom into those. Those symptom checker will never scale. They have no ability to really learn over time and they usually are wrong. They will be right in you know, most of the easiest stuff, but they will never be able to understand medicine. The next step for us was to go and search for data. We met some of our friends at Google and all those big companies. They told us flat out, they said, we currently don't have the data to run an algorithm at scale. The data is not what people search online. This is not about indexing pages and interest graph and whatever you have today. This is about anamnestic data. This is about capturing the thinking process of physicians. And this is usually unstructured data and then figure out how to reverse engineer those decisions that a way that an algorithm or whatever the algorithm is, we use neural network and AI and NLP or whatever the algorithm is, will understand to do it as good as the humans. It's been done. It's When we started five and a half years ago, it's, it was done a lot of imaging computer vision, reading pictures, but it was not done on taxonomy, on ontology of symptoms. And this phenotype data that sits in the EMR was vastly unused. Not mine sits aside in long charts or summary notes of physician that most algorithms just skip because of the unstructured nature of the data. We went and acquired partnership with an Israeli HMO provider and Maccabi. And Maccabi Health Services had been doing EMR for many years. They actually started way before it became popular under Obamacare in the US. We were fortunate to get a very big longitudinal database, millions of people with medical notes over the years from the time you were born to the time you will pass away. We could see behavior over time. And that gave us the ability to train a machine. And what we did is we did something that is still to me novel. I haven't seen any group out there yet to do similar thing what we have done, but we basically took unstructured medical notes, like you would say a doctor note. When a doctor writes you a note and he says, maybe he wants to give you a sick note and he said, this is what the patient is experiencing and this is what I think the patient has and this is what I think I should give the patient. That unstructured data is, was available to us and we start building what we call the ontology, which basically a group of symptoms, different things that people will describe, like I have a headache for three days and a back name, and we created correlation between those. So the machine started to understand that if I have a headache, maybe I also should have a neck pain. We started creating all of those graph of features, medical features that eventually helped us create a diagnostic model. The next step for us was to really build on top of that an application layer. This is where I like the science and the art. The science part is the algorithm and the algorithm has an ability to ask you question in a way that physician would ask you. And obviously in every step of the question, there is a million other question that we can ask. The art part of it is how do you put it in a product that people actually want to believe, trust, and use. So we build a whole experience around that and launch the product and, and basically give people access. And then later on, we did more and more functionality. But that's really what's the idea. Take a very big problem where you can apply data science and give people the ability to improve their access to care and access to health.
That's great. Yeah, I appreciate the the breadth of your answer. I'm wondering if the the sophisticated machine learning you're discussing and, and the application you just described, was that all part of your initial product offering? Yeah, it's a good point. We took the time to build an MVP that many other companies would probably go smaller. We almost had a year of just R&D and we had the privilege, especially because alone and my co-founder and CEO has a lot of experience in building those companies. He was very, very adamant about building a product that both me, myself, and my family would like to use. That was the highest standard. And we wanted to put something that has no doubt quality. We always believe that if people come use K, they should get really high quality, accurate information. So yeah, that was the initial product. And we put it into the market as an application. This is basically without really understanding yet how we're going to monetize it. It was a free product. We launched it and it was very successful. And we were lucky here because most cases in the direct-to-consumer, you build something and then you have to hope that people use. And it's not easy to start with a consumer product, especially something so important to people. Like, what do I have? when I'm not feeling sick. It's a very big decision. People will want to know that they will get into this trust and we immediately got velocity and also virality of the product. And today we have millions of users on the product and we have much more that we build on top of that. But yeah, that was the first point of entry. Even before releasing the product, we had like a beta version that we gave to many of medical community to test. So we wanted to feel very comfortable around the information accuracy that we are providing for to users. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like that year of R&D went a long way. One of my questions was going to be related to building trust and getting that initial traction with consumer first related applications. And it sounds like the time you guys spent in the R&D really escalated how quickly K-Health was adopted by the market. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I yeah. think if we went too fast, the whole product was an aha moment. Everybody was coming to the product with the bias of WebMD, kind of like, I'm going to type headache like you type on WebMD and what do you see on Google or Dr. Google? You see immediately brain tumor. Not everybody that has headache has a brain tumor, but that was the mindset of, our, of, of people. Many of them actually never want to, after you use the web once, you never want to use it again because right. it gives you so much information that you don't even know what is relevant for you. You're finding yourself going from a headache to a support group of people who had a brain tumor. You find you get lost very quickly. You don't know how to navigate. So for us, that that was the moment. And we wanted to make sure that when people spend four minutes, this is about the time it takes you to go from, I don't know what I have, to put all your symptoms into the app. A lot of people said four minutes, like who's going to spend with you four minutes? People don't have patience, but the completion rate of the have dialogue, which is the process of going through our app and discovering what you have was very high. And we can see people are highly engaged and we have 90 plus percent people completion. So many, most of the people will never drop out. And that aha moment when they realize, oh, my tension headache is actually not brain tumor. It could be this and this based on people like me which is another part of the product we built, we quickly realized that trust comes from knowledge and knowledge comes from the ability to relate. If I can relate to other cases and I basically says, I'm not patient zero, it creates a lot of trust with people. 
when people see on our app that there is 2.5.5 something patient that has this headache with this symptom and they are actually my age and they have the same gender identity and they have the same medical history and all the underlying condition and this what happens to them when they reported that headache and this is how they got treated that created their moment so yes getting to that MVP took us the R&D time and that's how we created trust and this is a very important thing you know the rate on the app store really matters people liked it people talked to other people about it we got constantly uh, organic traffic into the product. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just knowing that you're not alone in your journey with your symptoms, right? Knowing that other folks are in your same shoes and have dealt with this, I mean, goes a long way in, in bringing ease to a particular person. Wondering, looking back, knowing what you know now, is there one or two things that you wish you would have spent time doing initially that would have been included in your minimum viable product? Anything additional that you would have liked to address? I think one of the things that I always wanted to, and I kind of regret we didn't do is a more robust way for users to give us feedback while in the experience. We create a lot of feedback channels. You know, you can say what you think, you can write us what you think, but it's nothing like that moment. And if we created a real better way to actually get feedback at that point and hear from the users while they're using the key components of the product, that would be something that today we added many, many ways, but that's as an MVP would have helped us a lot in understanding our user behavior faster. Right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So I'm wondering, you know, now that you're this far along in your journey, how do you balance adding new features to the product and tackling new markets with strategies that you know are already proven successful? Oh, and that's the million dollar question. Like every day you wake up and like, what do I do now? We're still very heavy on R&D. The product I described to you was the MVP to understand or maybe help people understand what they have and they're not feeling well. But kind of coming up with first launch, and we had already in the first tranche of the launch, hundreds of thousands of users and very quickly got to a million users. Now we have 5 million users in the US, but very quickly we realized that user wants one, one thing more. Information is the beginning of their quest to resolve. Meaning I have this headache and let's just keep using the same example. It's not a tension headache. It's not a brain tumor. It's a migraine. Okay. What people do with migraine? I'm looking at the product, at the K-Health product, and people are going to a PCP and they basically getting prescribed medication that can help them manage their migraine. Migraine also is also a disease that has a lot of self-treated and people do many things like avoiding coffee or things like that to avoid those attacks. But people want to resolve. Now they want this headache to go away or not to come back again. So what we realized very quickly is that we have an opportunity to glue our information with medical care. And this is where we made the most significant decision after the MVP and the decision. And that's where many other similar companies like us that was in the space took different approaches. And that's to me was the most strategic decision beside starting the company. And we decided to build a clinical company. Now, what started as a, a way to navigate information on the same experience, when you see that migraine, you press on a button and in about 15 minutes, you will be texting with a physician, a US certified physician. And maybe five more minutes later, you have a prescription ready for you to pick up. 
So building that chain have completely transformed our company from a company that started from ability to help people guide through their health journeys to a clinical AI company. Currently, we have 200 or more physicians that are 24-7, 15 minutes SLA available in 48 states. On the same app that you press and you download and you figure out if this is abdominal pain or this is some kind of a food poisoning or maybe it's an appendicitis, you can get this, okay, we call them KMDs, our physicians, and they will help you navigate. And our KMDs have evolved to do everything practically that you would do in in-person care. And that's exactly where we met the pandemic. So timing couldn't be better because the market education that the pandemic have given us is tremendous. It took us many probably shortcuts, I think at least three or four years to educate the market that you can do things online as efficient as an in-person. And now we have a growing base of patients. And just so you understand, we have about over 1 million patients in our database. Our volume a day is bigger, like the outpatient, the number of thousands of people do outpatient visiting on our platform. And it's bigger than many bigger hospitals that you know about. So we have a lot of volume on our platform that people come, they seek information, they understand what they have better on based on people like me and then they are able to get that medical care on our platform this is really aligned with the way we thought about the company strategy as high as access to high quality care right so it sounds like you started integrating the clinicians in 2019 end of 2018 is that the correct timeline around 2019 was the world 2018 we started really piloting around it 2019 is where we started to ramp up and that's where we met met with the pandemic and, and really accelerated, yes. Well, that's great. I'm really glad we had an opportunity to touch on the journey of K-Health and, and describe what you guys are doing. It's really unique and, and seems to be making a real difference. I'd love to move into your initial conversation with investors. Everybody has a unique journey and, and I'm sure the listeners would love to hear about yours. Can you dive into what your initial conversations were like with investors and did you receive any feedback initially that may have changed the direction of K-Health? Again, this is something that I guess I'm lucky. Working with my co-founder alone, who was an investor myself, but also our lead investor, Mark Toulouse from Mangrove Capital, is really more than a more than investor. It's, I, I almost think about him like a, like a founder. And he's the person who gave us the first check and the first idea that we can go and be brave and try to solve something as big as care or healthcare mm -hmm. and taking a category of three, three point something trillion dollars that has not been changed or has so much resistance to change and try to tackle it. The conversation I had with investors where over the years we acquired many more investors, we raised over $250 million for the company we also started another company as a sister company, a JV with called Hydrogen Health, which is being funded by Antem, now called Elevens and Blackstone. We raised $100 million more for that company. Alon manage, Alon runs both of the companies. I'm the chief product officer for those for both of those companies. And over the years, talking to many investors, definitely got good advice around product positioning, go to market, how to think about monetizing the product, many things around the healthcare aspects. It's indeed, honestly, a lot of people say healthcare is tough, but it's indeed very, very complicated. 
people think about the US, but healthcare is, is 48 states or 50 states, very different between one to another. The regulatory aspects are, and the compliance aspects are highly complex. So this is where we saw the investors as a community that we can go and advise with. My biggest takeaway is still for Mark to lose, which is a person as an investor that will encourage you to stay entrepreneur, to think bravely about the problem you solve, to try to solve brick problem, to avoid the naysayers, to give you confidence at the time that you actually really need it. There's ups and downs in startups. Sometimes works, things works out, sometimes things less likely to work. That is where, aside from the professional side of the business and help you make those judgment call, that is to me the most material part is how to be a leader, how to be an entrepreneur and how to stay focused on your business is, is the most important thing that I took from, from, those, from those conversations. Yeah, that's great. It's great to hear that you have an investor on your side that, that you view as more than an investor. And you mentioned being a founder at Health Gorilla. You know, we've seen notable contributions from our investors as well. And it, you know, it's really amazing what type of support and resources they can provide if you find the right group of people. So very happy to hear that. Something that you just mentioned that, that sparked a question for me. I'm wondering if you still consider K-Health a startup, and if not, when you stopped considering it a startup? The term gets thrown around very loosely, and I think at times it can almost become a, a scapegoat for, fo for folks. Would you consider K-Health a, a startup still? Hopefully. I really hope so, but we, we had to mature in many aspects. Looking back, you know, that agility that we were like 20 people and we've been able to do things, that doesn't scale in a company that has 300 employees plus 300 physicians. This is where process matters. And this is where communication becomes more important than actual, as a leader, it's more important the actual direction that you give. How you communicate stuff is and how the team works cross-functional cross and how you build your middle management and how you promote people from and how you recognize talent. So I think it's, a, I still want to think about it as a startup, but, and still many things at K are just the beginning. With all due respect, our clinical program is two, three years old. Our AI is four or five years old. It's, 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 it's such a short time compared to, you know, what we're looking at healthcare and we want to drive change. So we want to stay modest. We want to stay very curious. To me, startup is also about curiosity. If the team is still curious and this is not just about doing what I did yesterday, just better and faster, but it's still about innovation and breaking the ceiling. That startup modality definitely still exists at K. We, we spoke a lot today about differential diagnosis and about symptoms, but as you know, many people goes around with chronic condition that are not necessarily symptomatic. Right. And you, you will be surprised that if you have a blood pressure, not many people know that they are getting the best optimized treatment based on experience of other people. Luckily, we even saw that the physician wants our data. We have now basically published a new algorithm that we will be developing on top of the Mayo Analytic platform. Mayo is the number one hospital in the world. Basically, we're able, we were again able to strike a data partnership with them where we have access to their de-identified anonymized data. So now we can mine 
millions of people in the Mayo database and understand what those people experience there. And we started to focus on chronic conditions and develop an hypertension algorithm that we wanted to give people because many people are asking us, am I taking the right medication? Is my blood pressure is under control? Should I be doing something else? How do I manage hypertension when I also have diabetes and all of other stuff? And so we're building the same algorithms. This is something that even physician wants to use now. This is part of being or keeping being innovative, keeping the startup mentality and break the ceiling where we have some of the businesses are more mature and in the scale mode, like our ability to solve urgent care problem and chronic care is, is ramping up on the other side. Eventually, most people, when they are sick, they don't really differentiate it. If they have a chronic condition or they have an urgent care, there could be a headache. The headache could be associated because they change the medication on a chronic condition. This is a whole care. And one of the things that I've seen in the market in the digital health was basically a lot of verticalized medicine companies, which I am less, less related with. You know, you have a problem, here is a website, go fill a form and figure out what to do, take a medication. That's not what K-Mission is. We are about here to basically embrace you as a whole patient, understand your entire medical history, treat your condition with respect to all other issues that you may have, which is an integrated care approach. So the startup mentality still remains at K very much at large, but as a company now, we have the infrastructure to scale and, and, and become more, more a corporation that is efficient, that has, can communicate up and down across the board. Yeah, I think that's great. I think you know having the organizational structure and sophisticated processes and keeping the, the startup mentality really seems like a recipe for success, right? Because startup, the term startup can have a different meaning for different people, but if it's a mindset and, and how you approach problems and pairing that with a sophisticated org, I think it's a, a really well-functioning system you guys have in place. One question that just came to mind as you were discussing your, your clinicians, do you guys leverage any um, wearable or home health technology to monitor the effectiveness of treatment that's being prescribed by, by physicians? We are starting to pilot many. I would like to say as sexy as it sounds, there is a still way to go there with devices. The problem is that you, you can have a, a watch, a Fitbit, or some kind of a system. They produce a lot of data. Actionable data and data are two different things. And now when you produce the data at scale and you give it to a physician, they will get lost. They will not know what to do it. They cannot take an action upon it. It's semi-regulated. It's not clear what the data means. It doesn't mean that every time you have a spike in your blood pressure, you need to see a doctor. So it's a beginning, but we are leaning forward, especially around basic stuff like blood pressure monitoring, which is the most important. If you have to ask me what's the number one vital that you want to get from people, that would be the blood pressure. That's something that we put a lot of emphasis on. But we are now also in discussion with many other devices companies, try to see how we can incorporate more behavioral data like sleep, like anxiety, and like your sport habits, like your diet. So all of these things are in our hands because we have a system that constantly hungry for data. Every time somebody does something on, on K platform, our algorithms are listening and trying to learn. Every time our physicians 
are taking an action with our patients, obviously anonymously and de-identifiedly, we can actually see over time how people are treating. COVID was a good example for us because standard of care and protocol have changed and we could learn and learn and learn based on thousands of cases every day that our system were handling. That gives us a big competitive advantage to produce clinical data at scale and connect it to the algorithm back and forth and devise the data will be just one big new element that we can correlate. And honestly, companies like us has the opportunity to finally create a link between, let's say, how did I sleep last night to diagnosis and differential diagnosis. And if we can mine that data and connect it to the medical ontology we spoke in the beginning, that is giving us the freedom to start putting more and more data items and to figure out actionability from data. Right, right. So is there, I mean, you mentioned K-Health being a, a platform hungry for data. Is there a particular source or set of data that's part of your growth plan um, that, you, that you think is going to take you to the next level? Yeah, we are now bringing, and this is where we are strong partner with Health Gorilla. We believe that digesting our own patient EMRs, medical data from all of their hospitals is the first and foremost important information to our growth. Having that, that is a big problem that you guys are Health Gorilla is tackling. And I think that is why we, we have a strong partnership with you guys. We believe your mission in your mission. We believe in your approach. We believe in you breaking the ceiling around telling the world that we can't, we can actually solve that problem, especially what's happening in the market. And you guys are more expert in it, but all the new regulation coming out, we believe that it's doable by a click of a button for our patients to bring all of their EMR data into the K platform. So our algorithms plus our physician can use that data to give them better care. And having, having the right data at the point of care, we, we are underestimating the magnitude of that problem. But a physician who has the ability to understand your child in completeness is going to be a stronger physician and a much better outcome for you as a patient. So that is a big problem. That is the number one problem way before thinking about how we're bringing device data, for example. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that Health Gorilla really values K-Health and it's exciting to hear that the data being ingested is, va is a valuable addition to your platform. I, I look forward to seeing that relationship grow and develop over time. It'll be, it's an exciting, exciting time for both companies and a great partner to grow alongside. Before we wrap up, Rand, I do want to dive into a few big picture items in the healthcare space, uh, specifically around these tech giants. What's your perspective on the Google, Amazons, Apples, and other tech giants entering the space, what do you think their impact could be, not only on the market, but patients and, and organizations like K-Health as well? Well, the big tech are not the same. Each one has a different strategy. So I do believe that the Apple Watch eventually will become a clinical device. I think there are consistent around the watch capability to become a clinical device. And by clinical device, I mean, integrated into clinical decisions. They, there's a lot of pilots around AFID and, and also successes that are starting. So I think that will, be, that will be my bet on the Apple side. And, you know, even with the high cost of the, of the watch, with all the population, there's going to be some link to cost of care. And if you have that watch, you may end up being healthier or require less care, and there's going to be a business case there. 
I think we're still some years away. I do think that Google has some novel capabilities. They are, they are proving us and many others that deep algorithms, they're working on DeepMind and they also have Verily. There's, it's hard to capture everything. I'm trying to follow up with everything, but I think they are going to contribute significantly in the development of AI and medicine. And this is good for companies like us. And I think a lot of people has kind of like a waking up call around the AI and how we can be careful about it. And what about biases? And is it really an accurate tool? But the biggest question is how AI is augmenting and not necessarily replacing. And all of those early days companies that shouted like Dr. AI or like you're going to see the AI, I think that's not the right decision. Or the right question. The more important question is that who needs to do what? And how do you manage your physician labor? We have a big shortage in, in physicians in the country and the world. So what physicians do really need to see and how the AI helps them understand a case? I think that's where Google is going to help us a lot, building those standards and creating those standards, regulating those standards. As far as Amazon, look, a lot of respect to the company, but so far, we've seen heaven. Heaven was a big announcement, and then something didn't work out there. And then we had Amazon Care, and Amazon Care is, is shutting down now. So right. I think Amazon is going to ask me, Amazon is going to be a force, but they are learning that healthcare is not necessarily similar and as easy as, not easy, but is more difficult category. And you need to be more thinkful about, thoughtful about how you, you enter it. One Medical is, is a very, very, very good company that has a philosophy. We at KF believe that materially, that philosophy is basically in-person care has exhausted itself and you need to combine technology and digital platforms uh, to transform in-person care to something that is way more scalable. But, you know, time will tell around Amazon and, and what they think. We are speaking with all of those companies in some way or fashion. It's interesting to see all of they do. To me, it's actually, because the market is so big, because we are facing such a hard time in changing the system, because the system is actually, the healthcare system is de designed to resist change. And it's okay because we have to be very careful and safe. And, and this is about people like, I think it's not just one company play. This is not like a category that's going to be one winner. This is not like, you know, Uber, Lyft, and, and Rideshare. This is, this is a category that you're going to need a lot of us, big and small, to start changing the system. And people are going to see, I think we are facing two-digit increase of healthcare costs next year, 23. Who's going to pay that? Um, the employers and the employees and all of us as, as citizens are going to incur more and more healthcare costs. So we, we need the big tech, we need the small tech, we need the innovatives, we need all of them to lean on the system and try to find a way to, to do that. So I see this more like a community of innovators than necessarily a future competitions. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take a village to truly transform healthcare. And I think K-Health is absolutely leading. It's going to take a village. I like that. It's going yeah. to take a village, yeah. Take exactly. a village. Well, Ran, I really appreciate your time today. It was great learning about yourself and K-Health's journey. I appreciate the candor and what you were willing to share. 
as I mentioned earlier, you're our first guest. You are top of our list. Uh, we couldn't think of a better person to kick this off. So thank you so much. Really appreciate your time and, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Thank you.